Welcome to Ed Ideas, relevant conversations for Christian education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction-setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew Scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is we bear the image of God. All right, thanks for tuning in. This is Brandon Tatum. And today I wanted y'all to hear a conversation between me and James K.A. Smith following one of his conference talks. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so uh, let's start with a very serious question. Okay. Dinner last night. (laughs) What did you eat for dinner last night? My first experience eating lamb fries yeah their testicles which, lamb testicles which turn out to do we have a ass. picture of jamie smith eating lamb testicles <laughs> oh, really? do we have it all right we wow. got it up there wow impressive all right so we'll start with that uh i sent you an email over a year ago and pitching this kind of this concept this theme and i remember being surprised by a couple of things one you responded very quickly to it. <laughs> and two, you responded super favorably to the theme, yeah. the idea. You want to talk a little bit about what were your kind of first thoughts about this? No, I, I mean, I think especially setting up the contrast between consumption and contribution, I just think is a very powerful frame because, um, in, in part because obviously it's just so easy to fall into the default trap of being mere consumers. I mean, that's just, that's easy. <laughs> um, uh, and because I see this, this, what you're framing as this call to contribute, to make, to uh, uh, um, uh, uh, be creative, A, I think it's a biblical call, but I also definitely see this as something that distinguishes the rising generation, that there's, they are, uh, uh, um, there's, there's a, a real passion for sort of launching and startup and uh, um, not, just, not just sort of um, taking off-the-shelf options or happily going along with the flow of existing institutions. I, I mean, I think there's interesting conversation to be had about tensions and, and challenges with respect to that, but I, I think it's right on the money. Uh, you ended your talk uh, minus Star Wars. I tuned out a little bit at Star Wars. Thing. Okay, okay. No, uh, <laughs> you ended, I thought, perfectly. Great. In the sense of, of kind of calling churches out, mm. calling, kind of calling mm. all, probably all of us out mm. into playing into that consumer mentality. Uh, I, I feel like one of the questions we should be asking as churches and even as schools uh, is is our youth, our our children consumers of church or contributors to church and i I think if we look through that frame it would kind of we might change some things i i think it's really helpful and then and then the next layer would be and when we are even excited and and opening avenues for them to be contributors to church can we make sure we're not just asking them to contribute to a consumerist project, <laughs> right? I, I think one of the most maddening things about Christian creativity is, is just how 
depressingly derivative it is in so many cases merely because we just mimic dominant culture rather than actually creating and contributing out of the distinctive culture that is the the body of Christ or the story of the distinctive story of what God's doing in the world. Yeah, you got Yeah, so uh, just a few questions that that really kind of walk into that and and so we'll kind of combine two of them. Um, so the first one is how do we remove ourselves from the marketing mindset model of our churches? But mm. kind of on top of that is the question of discerning the unfolding of the gospel, um, which has been co-opted by rival stories. Uh, so these other liturgies. And so I think there's probably five questions in there. But yeah. the two that I would emphasize as part of that is how do we sh- reshape our churches yeah. Um, away from that marketing mindset. And yeah. then the other part of that is, is looking at those rival liturgies personally, but also culturally, if you can maybe speak a little bit into what you've seen in the churches you've been a part of, seen, witnessed, heard about. In terms of, of their um, pushing back on those or appropriating them, or can you say uh, maybe, a little bit Maybe a little bit of both. It, okay. I think part of the question is, is sh- shifting the church yeah, from yeah, that because yeah. yeah. for, for me when I first think about that when I was 1998 green days when I come around we took it we put when God comes around in the lyrics and then we played it at camp you know classic, that was kind of our thing and classic. so uh, so how do we reshape yeah. the church away from that what yeah, are the practices okay, we okay. go back to so uh, um, yeah and it's a really good question and, and I think we just need to realize this is huge like this is a huge uh, uh, it, it's not so much here's the seven things you can do next year to do this because we need to realize uh, the extent to which a kind of big box megachurch culture is so structurally invested uh, in consumerism. So I, I look, uh, you know, I'm leaving shortly. So uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't think you can just move the chairs on the deck of the Titanic here, right? Like there's, and, and, and notice that um, I think the, the worst way that we get suckered by this is even how we think of success. Right, so excellence and success are these are these Trojan horses that we wheel in, so that we our measure of what we think counts as faithfulness is so skewed. So, um, so what could we do? Uh, here's here's um, and I, I but I don't want to despair, and I I don't want to be just cynical about that. I guess, and this is not the final word, but it's a a word. My kind of project, I guess is actually trying to get contemporary Christians lifted up out of their immersion in the water that they swim in by getting them to look at ancient wisdom in the church. So, so for me, one way to get, there's, there's two ways that you can kind of be jarred out of how American your Christianity is, to put it bluntly. One is to have conversations with Christians around the world. So global co- connections can help you realize the things that we take for granted in a kind of consumerist Christianity, you simply cannot do in parts of southern Sudan. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, this is, this is, the things that, you, that we identify with being a, a, a faithful church are just impossible in so many sectors of the world. So that's kind of a jarring thing. My, my, I guess my big burden is actually trying to get the church to look back, not nostalgically, not to the 50s, <laughs> uh, um, but actually uh, um, humbly to the 400s, to St. Augustine, to uh, 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 you know, Desert Fathers, who, who I think just have so much wisdom and insight about how disciplines and practices shape us so that um, 
in a way, I, I think the future of the church is ancient, and I think it looks like remembering a lot of disciplines and practices that we threw out in modernity uh, and in the name of relevance. That, I, that's a bit abstract, isn't it? I'm... No, I mean, no. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah. I think there's, so it goes a bunch, there's a whole bunch of layers to that, right? Yeah. And what that looks like to go yeah. backwards. And, and I think one of the questions here that, that maybe forms into that, especially since we're looking at, you know, this generation of consumers mm -hmm. and all of those things mm -hmm. is, is how is that taking place? One of the questions, if you look at the church, you look at the way things went, but I think a lot of that you would agree, or you would say is created families in, in the family system. Uh, so how do you change or reshape the way we educate children from the beginning? And that's through worship or through whatever that looks like. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I actually think the formation of children is one of the most important things that we should be being intentional about. And, and I think there are just some great resources out there. And, it, and the wrong move we made is we thought as long as we entertained kids Jesusly, we would keep them, right? And so uh, um, the problem is entertainment hasn't formed them. It's just kind of like, uh, it's competed for their attention and maybe won it a little bit so that they're, the, the, I'm not sure that it's actually birthed disciples. So there's some incredible curricula, for example, one's called uh, 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 the Good Shepherd Curriculum, uh, um, um, Children in Worship, sorry. Uh, um, all of these are, what I see are actually, uh, um, going back to the historic spiritual disciplines and liturgical practices of the church to see that actually kids are ritual animals. In my house, if you did something twice, it was a tradition. And, and kids love sort of tactile. And I think tethering it to the story uh, of, of the scriptures, and, and, uh, um, but acting it, enacting it. Uh, the, this catechesis of the Good Shepherd is almost like kind of Montessori discipleship for children, so there's all this like hands-on stuff, but it's really tied around the sacraments, and uh, um, I, I think it centers them. I also think multi-generational worship. One of the worst things that we did is we segmented our churches into these generational programming spaces. And, and I think one of the, and the data also shows this, that the young people who go on in the faith are overwhelmingly shaped by their relationships with adults who are not their parents. And uh, um, I, I think the more that we look for opportunities to create intergenerational modeling and interaction, and that won't happen if everybody's in their own little club center within the space, you know? I'll give a shout out. Josh Kincaid just did his dissertation uh, focused on that. Great, on multi-generational stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's I think it's us. a huge, huge theme. Um, I like this question. How do you identify one's liturgies that they are immersed in or identifying dispositions students have when it comes to the gospel? It's a great question. So uh, um, a couple things. First of all, these liturgies, these cultural liturgies, I do think we have to appreciate how contextual they are. Now, interestingly, I would say consumerism is pretty much a global reality now. Do you know what I mean? Like that's been, so that's, that works almost anywhere. But I do think we need to realize that the cultural liturgies that are going to co-opt me, this 47-year-old white guy, are going to be so different from the cultural liturgies that are going to co-opt, you know, a 16-year-old living in South Chicago. Like we inhabit different worlds. So you need to be sort of contextualized in your analysis. And then secondly, it has to be communal. 
because I can't see the liturgies that are closest to me. Do you know what I mean? Like the things that are probably most deforming me are also the things I most take for granted. So they're closest to me. And what's closest to me, notice that, you know, if I put my hand on my chest, I actually can't see it. <laughs> it falls out of my purview, which is why I need you to point it out to me. And this is where I think creating communal uh, conversations and context where we basically, we give each other this tool of putting on this liturgical analysis lens and then creating trust and safe spaces so that in a way that one of the ways you will love me is by helping point out the liturgies that I've given myself over to and didn't even realize it, right? Because it's, I, I've so taken it for granted. D does that help, yeah, do you think? Yeah, that's helpful. I love the terminology rival liturgies. Mm, mm. And uh, thinking about that from a parenting perspective, rival liturgies aren't always bad, right? There's some good there's say some more, good liturgies. Say more about that. So uh, uh, the context of youth sports and, and our generation. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. Oh, I see what you mean, yes. yes. Right? right. But, that, but, but sometimes we, we spend so much energy in these other practices, and we're forming this love of game, and it's taking away from this love of Jesus, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes those are disconnected. The youth sports industrial complex, I call it. Yeah, and, so, and, it and, it's, and it's got its own liturgical calendar that completely dominates households. So how do we guard against good rival liturgies? Good ones, right? Yeah, so in other words, you, and what you mean is they're good in the sense that even good things can become disordered liturgies if they really govern us in that way. Yeah. Um, well, it's a great question. Um, I do think becoming aware of them as liturgies and not just something that we do. I think the worst thing that happens is to even frame youth sport the way you just did. I'm guessing 90% of evangelicals in the United States have never thought about it that way, right? So then it's like, oh, okay, there's something at stake in my participation here, even though it's a good thing. I think that's a beginning of maybe making us more intentional about it. That said, I do wonder if sometimes the response to disordered liturgies is also a kind of uh, strategic, creative abstention. Or at, at some point, do you know what I mean? Like, at some point, somebody might have to choose between the catechesis of their heart in the body of Christ and whether you are going to get the scholarship. And uh, um, uh, I, I don't know, those are rival hopes. And, and I do think we just have to be honest that sometimes you can't have it all. And, and we need to sort of uh, um, make hard decisions in that regard. Now, I think it's always easy to make hard decisions for other people. So, this, you know, there's, there's uh, um, uh, uh, again, you need somebody to help you see it for yourself. I know you've talked about this in your book, Desiring the Kingdom, but uh, one of the questions, and it really is pertinent to just where we are as a society, I think the last mm. two years have just been mm. all over the place mm. and just so much tension mm. in our world, and it's definitely impacted and shaped the church. And so the question here is, what liturgies have led evangelicals to have political instincts to be some of the strongest supporters of, of different varying, this one says corrupt leaders, I was just going to say all leaders maybe on that. But, uh, and mm -hmm. then the question, um, let's that? not become relativist just because yeah, we don't yeah, want to offend somebody. Yeah. So, but what are some, <laughs> what are the counter liturgies that you think the church can yes, speak into yes, that? Yes. So, so it's a great question. And I, my latest book is called awaiting the King is on exactly this very quickly. I would say this, uh, um, we, we didn't realize that politics was liturgical 
and we didn't appreciate that church is supposed to be political. Now, when I say political there, I don't mean partisan. Actually, I mean anything but partisan. But what I mean is to be formed in Christ is to want God's vision of the kingdom. It's called a kingdom. That's a political term. Do you know what I mean? Like what God wants for the world is a certain ordering of societies and answering to that. I, I think what happened was uh, a part of it, this would be part of the diagnosis is, we didn't realize the extent to which we were giving ourselves over to what were liturgies in our political immersion. And so we don't realize that we ended up wanting power or winning or influence or security or comfort or whatever it might be. So that now we, we have, because we didn't find our center of gravity in the city of God, we have ceded our, our political allegiances uh, to partisan wrangling. And, and in this case, you, it is, there's guilt on both sides. It's just that, I, I, look, I think evangelicals have done a just terrible compromise of our witness. And, and it's because we got suckered into earthly city politics and, and we started thinking that winning was more important, even though we told ourselves great stories about all the things we were going to do with that influence. And, and to me, that's because we didn't realize we were being deformed. So it's about finding our center, our political center of gravity in the city of God, but not retreating or withdrawing, but from there leaning out now into a redemptive contribution to uh, uh, the culture and to realize... Uh, maybe one way of putting it is simply that uh, I'm Canadian, if this helps qualify anything. However, I am interviewing for U.S. citizenship on July 10, and I'm very excited about that. Um, I, I, I do think we need to realize that um, what's really at stake here is allegiance. The creed is the Pledge of Allegiance of the City of God. Um, the other pledge... <laughs> is asking for a lot. <laughs> and we need to just figure out how to sort of situate and rank those two things, I guess, yeah. Uh, okay, last question. Look at that. We did that without saying Trump. That was good. <laughs> Until now. Until now. <laughs> uh, what examples or movements have you seen of people getting this right? Mm. Can you say a little bit more about the this? <laughs> Uh, while I, while I, to buy me time. Okay, yeah. Um, I didn't write the question. <laughs> okay. But, but I, oh, oh, But I know the author yeah. of the question, so um, let, me, let me help here. The, uh, the this is, to me, would be groups that are intentional in their spiritual formation yeah. efforts. Yeah. Uh, maybe churches, maybe schools that are, are being um, not overly intentional, but very blunt in what they're trying to do. Um, I love the word intentional yeah. because I think this whole conversation involves around intentionality and an understanding that we are being formed daily. Yes. And being, to, yeah. being able to identify those formings and, and what they're trying to do to us, I think is very important. But what groups uh, might be talking about this effectively? What might have practices that are working well? Yeah. Those kinds of things. So this, and this is off the top of my head, but uh, two maybe very different examples. The one that comes to mind, especially given the theme of your conference, is uh, a group called Praxis Labs. Have you ever heard of Praxis? Okay, so this will be cool. I think you, you would really enjoy it. Praxis Labs uh, um, uh, 
Dave Blanchard and uh, uh, a whole team. It's basically a group of Christian entrepreneurs based in New York and Silicon Valley, social entrepreneurs and for-profit entrepreneurs who are saying actually one of the most significant ways to shape culture today is by building organizations, launching and starting organizations that are going to shape culture. They see Silicon Valley as actually one of the most significant epicenters of cultural influence, mostly for ill, but not all. Uh, um, so what would it look like now for Christians to own the call to entrepreneurship, but do it in such a way that they are centered in God's story? And so Praxis Labs, they create these incubators where fellows gather uh, throughout a year, and they've just unveiled, Andy Crouch uh, uh, has talked about this recently, he's part of Praxis now, unveiled this kind of rule of life. You can find it online. I, I think if you just Google Praxis rule of life, and basically what they've said is, if we are going to be creators, if we're going to be leaders, if we're going to be contributors, here is the rule of life. It's a little bit like the Benedictine rule that we think entrepreneurs should give themselves over to daily rhythms and practices, rhythms for their households and families, commitments to church communities. I, I think it's a really exciting pairing of the two. The other example that comes to mind is actually um, the movement of classical Christian schools who I, I spend a lot of time with in, in different spaces. And, and uh, what, what's intriguing to me is, uh, um, and, and again, it's, it's a mixed report, but there's a sense in which they are on the one hand being very, very intentional about formation, thinking about it very holistically. The classical piece gives them now this posture of retrieving ancient sources. Uh, um, there's, there's, the temptation, of course, is to always just become nostalgic and reactionary. Uh, the trick is to retrieve the ancient for the sake of creating for the future. And I, I think it's an example, interesting example. Yeah, those are great. I, I would love to see those labs mm -hmm. in our K-12 schools and yes. our universities. And, you know, I think they would be really open to conversation because what they've done is now they do have an undergraduate sort of mm -hmm. camp and program, and now it's, uh, I think they would love to get people thinking about it We sooner. need a junior-senior model. I think it's a great okay. idea. Thank you very much. This has been great. This has framed our entire conversation great because this has set the tone that says uh, I think we all came here knowing spiritual formation is important yeah uh, but hopefully it has allowed all of us to see how intentional we have to be in spiritual formation efforts because of how often and how well yes. the world is forming us in a different narrative yes. maybe that's consumption whatever that is um, and so we have to figure out ways to offset that exactly. um, your books, Desiring the Kingdom, You Are What You Love, changed my entire outlook on mm. spiritual formation. Mm. I, mm. I came to your books with very antiquated verbiage, mm. and uh, it just new spin. So if you haven't read any of his books, read all of them. Uh, but shout out in spiritual formation. I haven't even read all of them. The, but no, uh, I really appreciate that. That's, to that's, the Desiring that's really the Kingdom, honored. Imagining the Kingdom, and You Are What You Love. Great books. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. much. Let's give Thank him a you. round of applause. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. It's great. Thanks, Jay. It's great. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.